Red Kite Prayer is hosting its first ever event October 12th through 14th, 2018, the Red Kite Rendezvous. The two and a half day event will feature bikes from some of the industry's top frame builders, two gravel rides, some of the world's finest craft beers, which are brewed locally, plus enough food to make the pedaling fun. For more information or to register, go to redkiteprayer.com backslash store. The Pull is brought to you by the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, the world's premier annual gathering of bicycle frame builders and frame building enthusiasts. The 2019 show will take place March 15th to 17th at the Sacramento Convention Center in Sacramento, California. We hope to see you there. From Red Kite Prayer, I'm Patrick Brady with The Pull. On this week's show, we continue our conversation with Eric Noren of Peacock Groove. Last week, we talked about some of Noren's signature creations, like his Evil Dead bike and his Appetite for Destruction bike. While those works generated some controversy, much of this week's show will focus on a bike that has been widely acclaimed for its incredible attention to detail. That bike is his collaboration with Anna Schwinn, an homage to the rock star, songwriter, guitarist, producer, and filmmaker, Prince. The Purple Rain bike is really all Norn needs in terms of a resume. It's a bike that, in its devotion to its subject, shows the full range of expression of which Norn is capable. Put another way, this bike is so badass that Chuck Norris bowed out of the ring. We opened the conversation by talking about his experience of attending a lunch sponsored by Belvaney to honor people at the top of their craft. As I did with last week's show, there will be a couple of points where I add moments from our conversation before it officially started, but fortunately, I was already recording. With that, back to our interview with Eric Noren of Peacock Groove. You got invited to a lunch that... As my understanding of it was, it was meant to honor people kind of at the top of their craft. Uh, and if memory serves, it was sponsored by a company that produces scotch. Would you tell us a little bit about that event and who else was there? Oh, boy. Um, that was quite an ordeal. Uh, and the Highlander bike was supposed to be there, but FedEx screwed it up. And I'll never stop shaming them for it. But anyways... Um, when you absolutely positively have to go get it from the FedEx headquarters because they can't deliver it to you, use FedEx. Anyways, um, <laughs> I got approached a number of years ago from the American Craft Council to go do a talk on frame building at the American Craft Council in, in uh, Minneapolis. And I was like, really? You want, you want me? And they're like, yes, we really want you. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So I brought some bikes there and I did this talk and it was uh, Perry Price was the moderator and he did a very good job. And I told him like, look, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that I'm not PC cause I hate that term, but um, you know, I swear telling inappropriate jokes, I guess, you know, but they're the best kind of jokes to tell, you know, cause it's funny to see somebody laugh and go that you can't say that. I'm like, Oh, but you found it funny. Mm, <laughs> where are you at now? You know? But so we did it. We did a speech on it. And at one point there was a guy who, 
And this is a defining moment for me. He said something like, yeah, well, why are you always late? And I looked at him. I was like, that fucker stopped by the other day and took up an hour and a half of my time talking to me. Didn't buy a shirt. Didn't buy nothing. It was just a, oh, I want to go meet this guy. You know, I don't know why you want to meet me. But anyways, I said, and said, well, sir, you know why I'm late? Because guys like you come to my door, knock, don't pay attention to the sign. And I'm, I'm left in a conundrum. If I go and say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm really busy. Can you come back? You're going to tell your friends I'm a dick and shoot you away. If I tell you to make an appointment, I'm a dick. If I let you in and I talk to you, then you tell people, oh, yeah, he was cool. I talked to him. But then what you don't know is now everybody is, everybody's bike is late by another hour and a half. And I said, so here's the deal. That's why everything is late because people like you just don't fucking get it. You come and you interrupt me and I have to be nice or I'm a dick. Well, here's the deal. Uh, being a dick is apparently what keeps me on track and semi-paying bills. So I guess I'm a dick. And the whole like audience was like, <gasps> And the monitor's like, so anyways, Eric, speaking of business, <laughs> you know, it was funny how he, he had to mop this up, but it was like, look, I, why am I nice to this guy? He's not paying me for my time. He's rude. He saw the sign that says, do not disturb. And the fucker still came in here. Like, you know, that's on him. That's not on me. You know, mm-hmm. do not feed the bears. It may make them angry or who knows. So. I did the speech and they liked it and they're like, wow, we've never had this many people here. It was a full auditorium. And I was like, you guys really, you need to find better artists, <laughs> you know? And, uh, about six months later, I get a call from him. He's like, Hey, I want to let you know some good news. I said, yeah, what's that Perry? And he says, you've been nominated for the Balvenie American craft council pursuit of rare craft. And I go, well, that's, that's cool. Sure. And he goes, you don't know what this is. Do you? And I said, I don't know, Perry. No, not a clue. And he goes, well, it's a pretty big deal. He goes, here's the deal. You are nominated and we are going to fly you and a guest out to New York city where we will have, uh, someone's going to come videotape you. We're going to fly you I'll present that. And whoever uh, wins, you'll have dinner or uh, a brunch with Anthony Bourdain and meet the last year's winner who was Bob Kramer, guy who makes knives out of space rocks. And, and he says, uh, and you get a check for five grand. I was like, if you win, he goes, uh, no, you get a check for five grand as a nominee and whoever wins gets a check for 10 grand. I was like, motherfucker, let's, let's go win. (laughs) Eric needs to go to Mexico. I need some relaxation. And so I was like, seriously. And he's like, yeah, you get paid trip to New York. We'll put you up and, and we feed you and we'll pay for your driving around. And I'm like, what? And so here I am thinking like, all I do is swear and make bicycles. And now they're flying me to have a potentiality of winning 10 grand and eating with Anthony Bourdain. And I'm like, this, this is some fucked up shit right here, but Hey, you know, let's, let's roll with it. So we did. And, um, we get there and it was, it was just bizarre. Like the hotel was messed up and I took my sister cause I can't, you know, like walk down the street and chew bubble gum at the same time. There's too many shiny things to be distracted by. And I, you know, the the hotel was wrong and she was like, aren't you upset? I'm like, what am I to be upset about? I got a check for five grand. They're flying us here. They're feeding us. I'm having brunch with, An- and you get to meet Anthony Bourdain. You watch the show all the time tomorrow. Shut up. There's nothing to be mad about. Who cares if we have a hotel with only one bed? We're not the Thornbirds. Nothing's going to happen. We're brother and sister, one under the sheets, one on top of the sheets with the <laughs> rules, you know? But anyways, we go to this thing and I meet Mr. Bourdain and it was, it was the funny part about it is I go 
and I meet these guys from Balvenie, these Scottish guys. And what you may or may not know about me is that if I wasn't building bikes, I'd probably be an English teacher. I am in love with the English language and, and just the grammar structure. I, I just, I don't know, for some reason I like it. Thank you, Mr. Doherty, my high school English teacher. He really taught me to care about it. Well, anyways, uh, I go and I meet these Scottish guys, you know, these guys from Balvenie and you go in there like, Oh, Hey, how are you doing? He's going to come have a dram with us, huh? And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and they left and go, oh, we heard you're a Spitfire one. Hey, what do you got going on over there? You want to go drink some, huh? And I go, I don't know what fucking English you people are speaking, but you should speak it like me. And they all, oh, we all laughed. And I eventually, like, it took me like two more sentences and I caught on to their, uh, uh, whatever you call it, uh, dialect, for lack of a better word right now. And they were very cool. And they said, why don't you go have a dram? And we were in this very expensive restaurant in Manhattan. And I remember looking around going, man, this is like, this, the ceiling is three stories up. I bet this is a really expensive place. Apparently it's the most expensive restaurant in Manhattan. I can't remember what it was called. I got driven there and dropped off. That was the extent of my responsibility. And they're like, Hey, go have a drink. And I'm like, dude, it's 1130. I, I, I can't start right now. This is too early. So I go up to the, to the bar and you got to remember this place is, this is a big deal. This is like thousand dollar plate, you know, place or something. And the lady behind the register was not, or bar was not paying attention to me. And I'm like, uh, uh, and a beautiful thing happened. I saw the maitre d' or somebody like see me and freak out and, and like very briskly walk over and, and, and then get behind the bar and whisper something to her. She goes, I'm sorry, sir. Is there something I can get you? And I was like, Oh, I bet I know what just happened. Hey, this guy in raggedy jeans, boots <laughs> and a shitty t-shirt is why you're here today. So get, so get him something to fucking drink. And I said, I just need a Coke. And she's like, okay, how many cubes of ice? I'm like, I don't know, three. But like, I've never been a place where like, how many cubes of ice do you want? You know, like, yeah. I've never been that fancy. But so we met all these other artists. One was a Native American who did beadwork. The other was a coppersmith. There was a clay artist and a paper folder. And the paper folder guys ended up winning. And to be frank, initially I was very upset because I was like, dude, like, you know, they use computer algorithms and all this shit and then they just fold it. Like, you know, I don't know how artistic that is. And I was being a dick. But when Mr. Bourdain, when he got up and he says, you know, we had to choose what truly was the rarest craft. And what they decided is like, well, what's, what do we really not need? What can we get on without? And he said, paper folding is it. And the way he explained it, I was like, Hey, I agree with you now. I ain't sorry, but I'll tell you what, um, Anthony and I talked, but before that we had this five course brunch and I almost hit the crumb scraper guy because I thought he was like trying to hug me or something weird, but I'd never <laughs> been in a restaurant where they like lean over you and scrape in front of you clean free of crumbs. I'm like, dude, it's okay, whatever. But it freaked me out. And the people next to us, I can't remember their names, a uh, wonderful couple, but they were dry. And they're like, we're not going to drink this. So they, they brought you a dram of Balvenie with each um, uh, course or whatever. So in two hours, I had anywhere from nine to 13 drams of scotch. And this wasn't, you know, like the little shit shit. This is Balvenie. It was good stuff. And they worked their way up to 21 year. And I mean, I can drink scotch and whiskey, like really no problem. And I remember my sister Anne says to me, why are you so quiet? <laughs> I'm like trying to observe and, and hold it together. And she's like, I know I'm really drunk too. Because since 
they weren't drinking. They forwarded us their scotches. So we were just kind of like, woohoo. And I was really quiet. And a couple people were asking Anthony, like, hey, what's your favorite risotto? You know, and I'm like, oh, this poor fucker. The last thing he wants to a- answer is, is uh, you know, questions about food and macaroni and cheese. And so I waited and I was really quiet. And I finally said, hey, Anthony. He goes, yeah. I said, hey, man, what was the first job you fell in love with? What fueled your passion? And he goes, oh, and he leaned back and he smiled and he goes, I was 16 years old, New York City. I was a bike messenger. We'd go do our eight hours or so of work and run, and then we'd go to the local bar. we get 75-cent PBR Cowboys and then go see a Kung Fu triple feature. Those were the days. And, I mean, my jaw hit the fucking table. I'm like, dude, riding your bike, drinking the beers, watching Kung Fu. And, you know, to see him generally smile and talk about it, it was a beautiful thing. And it was like the verge of art. I'm a little teary now just thinking about it because after we talked, you know, after that, we talked and hung out. And he asked me and uh, these other people asked me about certain bikes that, like, you know, I still didn't have a website at the time. I still really don't have a website. And I'm like, well, if you know that bike, you've actually, like, you've looked deep. You've had to look. So it meant something to me. And then to be, you know, sitting at this table and talking with these people, and, and this is what the American Craft Council and the Balvaney people thought was the best artists of the year that year. I didn't know how deep a water I was in. I didn't, I've never been called an artist, really, and I didn't understand, and I still don't. But I was like, wow. You know, and there's like, unfortunately, I'm like one picture of me with Anthony and I look like really nonplus. I'm just like, meh, I'm here in New York, big whoop. But inside I was like taking it all in and like, I'm here because I build bicycles. And it struck me of just how powerful that could be. And I struggle with it to this day just because like I'd rather sit and create and weld, but I have to do the business side of it and it kills me. The business side of it just, it takes all the fun out of it, but I look at what Anthony accomplished and it's marvelous. And to get words of encouragement, you know, and an email or two from him. <laughs> I don't know, man, top that, you know what I mean? Like that's, I mean, wow. I don't, I don't know what else to say. I don't want to sound like a, Oh, you know, look at me. I'm so great, but, uh, nobody else did it, you know? So it's, it's, it's weird. It's a strange kind of like, I'm representing this, community that I still kind of don't feel a part of. It's a very, very strange position to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here, I'm going to add a snippet of something he relayed of his time with Anthony Bourdain that I think is particularly telling of the disconnect between Noren's work ethic, his creativity, and his sense of place in the world of frame building. Don't believe those fuckers on online, man. You know, he goes, they haven't done something. And he goes, it's the people and the artists. And it was crazy when he said the people and artists like you, I mean, like Anthony Bourdain called me an artist. Think about that for a fucking minute. You know, I think you might appreciate this ironic usage of the phrase, but, uh, dude, you had it coming. Um, (laughs) in one way or the other. Yeah. Um, okay. 2016, you and Anna Schwinn collaborated on, an homage to Prince. 
Anna Schwinn, for those who haven't become familiar with her in the bike industry, yes, she is that variety of Schwinn, uh, daughter of Richard Schwinn, incredibly talented engineer, and she's also a writer. She's uh, contributed to Bike Rumor and I believe some other sites as well. That bike that you two work together on, the Prince bike, the fact that it was purple is kind of the least detail of that bike. Walk us through some of the various things that you did to that bike so that it wasn't just sort of a purple theme bike with the Prince name stuck on it, but it really did pay an incredible degree of respect to him and his uh, uh, artistic inspiration for you. Wow, that's um, that's a mouthful. You know, I think I've told not the story enough, but it's funny because if Anna was here, she'd She'd be like, no, it didn't happen that way. I'm like, yeah, it did. So it'd be funny to get her account too, but I'll tell you the best of my recollection. And what it was is that Anna wanted a bike. She wanted a bike to travel with. And I was like, why don't you get a fucking Waterford or a Gunner? You know? And she's like, well, yeah, I I think I want a bike from you. And I was like, okay, whatever. Well, anyways, then she went somewhere and came back and Prince died. And if I remember right, she called me or we talked in person. I can't remember. But uh, she was like, would you do a Prince theme bike? And I was like, whoa. Uh, you know, I said, you, you, you kind of, do, do you know what you're asking? You know? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, no, I, I, you know, I don't know that you do. And this is a lot of this is my thoughts when it happened. I was like, look, man, I'm loud and brash and boisterous. Prince isn't. Prince is boisterousness came from his work and he really is an artist. I mean, when somebody asked me if I was a Prince fan, I said, nah, I, I only have eight of his albums. <laughs> you know, And I'm like, I, you know, that's not even my, like I'm more industrial techno heavy metal kind of person, but I got eight Prince or so CDs, you know, like I love his work. He, he's a true artist. His, his work sings to me and no pun intended, but, and so I was like, well, we got to talk about this because you can't just make a purple bike. You can't do that. That's an insult. And I was very adamant about that. And, and she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, just let me think about it for a day or two. And I remember I went and I put on Purple Rain and a bunch of, you know, the, the album. And I listened to it. And I mean, I, I really listened to it. And I think that that is an incredible album. And it represents a moment in time for me and uh, a moment in time for music because he didn't back down from what he wanted to hear. You know, he wanted to play the music that he wanted to play. I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So I thought about it and I'm like, okay, it's going to be purple. Well, we're going to do the font in the purple rain font. Um, we're not going to have a heavy metallic. It'll be more like a pearl. Uh, we'll, we'll buff out any of the parts that are black anodized and make them shiny down to Luma, which by the way, took like three years off of my life. Um, I said, we'll put the rear caliper on the chainstay and can make the rear an asymmetrical because Prince was funky like that. I said, okay, we'll, uh, we'll write the lyrics of purple rain. We'll paint them on the rims which my painter hated because if you saw it, you'd know what he had to weed out. Instead, it took him like three hours each rim. Yeah, so he can hate me too, but whatever. Um, but I was like, uh, we'll write you sexy motherfucker on there because 
you know, that's Prince. Uh, and I was like, oh, we'll get little of his symbols, water jet cut out of stainless, and we'll use those for water bottle boss reinforcements, and we'll put one up on the head tube and the top tube so you can look down while you're riding and see it. So those are polished stainless. Um, and there was a blinking mount, right? It. There was a blinking mount as well. A, uh, a little mount for a blinking light in the back, right? Oh, yeah. On the yep, seat there stay. was a little hole for a blinking light because, you know, you got to be safe. Um, and I, on the disc mount, I drilled in seven small divots and we painted them white. And that is for, that was my idea for uh, his song. Seven is one of my favorite songs, just because I think it's talking about killing the seven deadly sins, like living a real life. Mm-hmm. And I like that, you know, because uh, that's important to me. But, uh, you know, as we were doing this, it kind of grew. And then she had some rotors made that have his, she designed them and, and it says, baby, you're way too, you're much too fast. You know, after a little red Corvette. And so that was another thing. Um, then a friend of ours heard about this and he goes, dude, I used to roadie for Prince. Do you want one of his picks? And I'm like, did he use it? He's like, yeah, I used it. And I'm like, fuck. Uh, you know, and I was like, where do you put it? I'm like, well, we'll just, we'll glue it to the stem or something. So Paul components machined a relief of the stem and sent us the stem and we, we glued it in there. So you literally have something Prince used on there. Um, Geneval, custom purple anodized something, uh, their shifter, and on their brake levers, they had the doves. Sorry, I'm slow. I'm trying to figure, I remember all this through my head. But yeah. They had the doves, and they laser etched three little tears coming from the doves' eyes, you know, when doves cry. And then less cycling, LEH cycling, they covered a saddle in white with purple, it was pre- perforated, so underneath it was purple. Yep. And they had his insignia in there, and they did the bar tape, too, with the doves crying on there. And um, Paul did a, I think they were the first polished clampers out there with purple uh, adjustment knobs in there. And we had the head rims painted to match with the logos on it. And I, it was, I had to make it loud but not ostentatious because I don't think that he was, you know, like, you got to understand like when he, when he took presence on that stage, he was commanding it. It was his show. Yes. Everyone else was there and they were making a great show, but this was Prince. So I said, this bike has to reflect that. And, you know, I still think about it and I take it pretty heavily and I'm like, wow, this, uh, you know, this bike, it means something to me. And, you know, damn the torpedoes. I don't care what, you know, people think. And we got a, we got a silica pump and they're like, will you paint it? We'll give this to you if you paint it to match. I was like, oh yeah, we'll paint it. And I polished it and we painted the three little lines in the pump head. And they were like, uh, that you're going to paint it. Like we did right there in the three little lines in the pump head. So, you know I mean? We did. Uh, and, and, you know, little symbols and just this and that. And it, it, it was bigger than the sum of its parts. You know, it held a crazy presence. Okay, I've got to jump in here once again. This next moment, in which he relays part of a conversation with Anna Schwinn, regards a bike another much bigger company was planning to offer as a nod to Prince. It helps to illustrate just how differently Noren sees his mission as a frame builder. This speaks to the nature of creativity and how it defies becoming a commodity. And I laughed and I said, relax, I got them beat. And there's very few things that I'm confident about. But I told her, I was like, she's like, why are you so relaxed? You need to be more, uh, oh my God, this is, and I said, Anna, they're a business. 
the only, and I said, they're going to paint it purple, some shit purple, and they're going to put his logo on there and it's going to be a stock size frame. I know this because they run a business and I'm a frame builder. So they're not going to beat me because they know that if they do anything that I do, they'll lose money. I didn't care about money when I was building that bike. I needed to make that bike. I needed to make it what it you know, what it was going to be when it won the Philly show as a write-in. I was like, Oh boy, you know, like we just beat Chris Bishop and you know, the, the Philly bike expo people came and they're like, why isn't this on the, uh, you know, the crowd favorite people's choice. And I'm like, cause I was sick at the time with pneumonia and I didn't get back to Bina's email. And so I show up to the show. I was like, Hey, is it too late? And she's like, yeah, it's too late to be entered on that. The, the forms are already, you know, printed. And so like a couple people came to me like, Hey, why isn't this on the crowd favorite people's choice? I'm like, I don't know. You know, and they were shaking this ballot at me. And four hours into the show of the two day show is when, uh, the people from Philly bike show came in like, you're a right. And tell people that you're a right. And we're getting too many people that are angry that this isn't on the list. And I'm like, sorry to bother you. You know, like I didn't know, <laughs> but to win as a right in against people like Chris Bishop, like, man, that's, that's not easy. You can't do that. You know? And, and here we did it. Okay. I'm jumping in one last time. This next clip gets at something that I think many creatives struggle with, and that is the discomfort in being celebrated, even as they strive to do work that is memorable. I know this can often be interpreted as a kind of false modesty, but as someone who has walked this road previously, I can say that Noren's simultaneous discomfort and ambition hit me where I live. I come back and like I'm sitting in my shop and I remember listening to purple rain, looking at that bike and like, I wept for the first time in like years I cried. And it was, it was, it wasn't like happy or sorrow or sad. It was just kind of like a strange relief. And it was a very empty victory. Cause here I am crying by myself, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's no one to share it with. And, you know, and, uh, Gene Overpillar and, uh, he owns a shop out here called one yep. on one, very famous oh, yeah. guy, oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, he and Anna were like, no, we're having a party, you know, like we're having a celebration party that, you know, I won and brought it home to Minneapolis. And, and to be fair, like, yeah, I brought the thunder. It was awesome. And then it got invited to, you know, they're like, you better take that to NABS. And I was like, oh, I already brought it somewhere. And it was, you know, told that they want to see it there. And I was like, well, we got more parts to put on it. So yeah, we'll, you know, we'll bring it. And we did. And, um, you know, the only parts that weren't touched on it, like modified by me, or painted over or polished were the hubs, the cassette, the chain, and uh, the spokes. tires. I don't know how you'd modify your tire right. folks. You know, I don't know right. how you'd do that. It, you know, we didn't bother. But I mean, that was the I thing. Mean, that bike, you you left no stone unturned, so to speak. I I couldn't. It it had to be done right because. What people don't understand is, yeah, I live in the Twin Cities. Minneapolis is my home. I go eat lunch there every day, you know? I mean, when I mean my home, like, yeah, I go rest my head in St. Paul, but my heart and my mind are in Minneapolis. And I go there every day, and I see the people, and I ride my bike, and I, I see how beautiful it is, and, and I like it. It's it's my hometown, you know? It's, it's Twin Cities, you know? And it was like Prince came from there. Yeah. You know, For anyone was, in the audience who doesn't know, yeah, it was Prince's hometown as well. And he was he was our musician. He was our celebrity, you know? I mean, he liked living here. He was like, the fucking winter. I was like, shut up. Long, stupid winters are what makes the summers. 
ever so much more enjoyable and precious. And besides that, we have fat bikes now. So go ride your fat bike and shut up. But, you know, like I went into this thinking and, and gave it some really deep thought of like, if Prince ordered a bike for me, what would I do? You know, like, A, I wouldn't have made it that big because he's a small dude and Anna's tall. But, you know, like, I think that, I think it would have went, if he saw it, you know, I played it in my head a hundred times, but I think he would go, that's cool. And if he said that, I'd be like, I'd melt. I'd be like, okay. You know, but I had to do it right because Peacock Groove is Minneapolis. Eric Norton may not be completely, but Peacock Groove is fucking Minneapolis (laughs) to its core, you know? And it's like, how do you do that? So then, you know, you come back, you throw this party. Then the Wiseman Museum calls you. And they're like, hey, we don't want to display this bike. Can we rent it? And I'm like, uh, you have to call the owner. And they're like, what? You mean it's not you? And I'm like, yeah, I make bikes. I don't. I, I can't keep them all. It's not a good business model. I know it's not a good business model. <laughs> so, you know, Anna gets this bike, and she rides it, and she loves it. You know, and there's a whole story of it before we got it painted about how she took it on a trip, and it was amazing, and everybody loved it. And it was crazy. And then it comes back and it sits in this museum. And, and the crazy part of this is like a guy who taught me how to cook pizzas after Kroll folded for the first time. I had to work at the green mill in St. Paul, terrible place. I, I go and I work there and I learn how to make pizzas. And this guy, Curtis Berg teaching me how to make pizzas. Well, I get a Facebook request last year from Curtis Berg and he goes, dude, did you know your bike's going to be in uh in the Wiseman? I'm the director of security. And I'm like, holy shit, my bike's going to be a museum? And he's like, you're still a smart ass. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's, it kind of still is news to me, but, you know, like here I'm reunited 20 years later, you know, with a friend that I made. And he's like, dude, this is so cool. And like, I'm at the director of security and all this shit. And like, it was very weird to be invited to the pre-party. And you go to this event, and you know, and I'm wearing my nice, nicest pink shirt and overcoat, totally looked like a weirdo. But we went there and, uh, it was strange that the directors of this museum are like, Eric, we want you to meet these people. And they were like, this is blah, blah from uh, Oslo, Norway. And they say, we just flew in today. <laughs> and of course I'm like, Oh, your arm's tired. <laughs> I'm like, this is bullshit. You didn't come here to see this exhibit, you know? And I said, did you really guys, did you guys really fly in to see this? And they're like, yes. So these people flew from Oslo, Norway to be there for the opening night of this Prince exhibit in the Weissman museum. You know, and here I am getting touted around and meeting all these people. And they're like, we love your work. It's incredible. And I'm like, bitch, please. We're barely on Instagram. I don't know what you saw, but, you know, but they're like, no, we we got the pre-tour. It's wonderful. And I mean, I didn't say that to them, but that's what I thought. But it was, it was crazy to be, never consider myself an artist. And now I'm meeting fine art collectors and other artists. And they're like, dude, your bikes are so cool. And I'm like, I have no idea who you are. I'm sorry. I'm stuck in a warehouse 14 hours a day, you know, complaining about the weather. So, well, and, much. and that is but the it, life it, of it a real artist. Surreal. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess so. I don't know, but it was, it's weird. And now, um, I had to prepare for on the 18th, the Wiseman Art Museum is having an art mob at my shop. And it's like, where these, they go have a really ritzy little party and they talk about art and I have to talk about myself and what I do. And then they leave. And I'm like, okay. So my goal of getting the mainstream to accept bikes as something different and unique is it's coming to fruition, but it, boy, has it been a, uh, a hard path, you know, but now I just found out that apparently, and I guess I'm ruining it here. 
the Seattle Museum of Pop Culture is going to have this bike on display for a year. So, oh, poor Anna, I mean, <laughs> you're going to uh, have to make yeah. her a different travel bike. Oh, Jesus, no, she better get her checkbook out. But you know, it's like it's strange to hear this, and it's like you know, to be surly, transparent, honest with you right now, like. I've wept before because I don't feel accepted in my own industry. And I've, I've cried before because I've let people down and I couldn't pay rent. And then I've made people extremely happy. And so these ups and downs, you know, they, they make something and they, they give you experiences and values. And it's very hard when people go, Oh, overnight success. <laughs> Fuck that. This is not an overnight success. <laughs> yeah, and I wouldn't call overnight. It an overnight success at all, you know, but, I don't know if I'm making it yet. Business is getting better. I'm running the business better. Um, there's still people that I've really pissed off, but, um, you know, I've made mistakes. I'm human, but to like, it's very strange to be like, yeah, I met Anthony Bourdain. I was in popular mechanics photo shoot once because I got a big mouth about American made goods. You know, and what it comes down to is like, this is crazy. You know, it's, it's really weird that, somebody comes up to me like, dude, I love your work. And I'm like, ah, okay. That's really weird. I, I need to go. Cause Rick and Morty's on in 20 minutes and it takes me 20 minutes to ride my bike home. You know, like I have very important things to do. So it's, it's weird that the Prince bike came to fruition that way, but it was a labor of love and, you know, coming home after nabs and looking at that bike and I remember it was raining and I was just blaring music, looking out my garage door and crying. And I, I understood something, you know what I mean? Like that record really meant something to me. And it was so strange to celebrate by myself. Do you understand? It was incredibly lonely and yet yep. still so satisfying, but it was, you know, I tend to only focus on the negative. Like when I said, like there was four people who were so upset that I won, you know, and it, it was, it was just all kind of stupid politics. And what I'm bummed out about is like, are these the people I'm going to see at next year's NASMIC? Oh, Hey dude, sweet bike been following your stuff. And it's like, are you the person who complained? You know, like, are, you know, it makes me just wonder that. And I shouldn't, I check myself, but at the same time, it's like, look, man, you want more people to buy bikes, do something different, get the mainstream involved, you know, for whatever I, I it's worth. You know, just just to say this and, you know, have an audience hear it as well, you know, for whatever it's worth, that some people complained about that bike winning. Number one, when you when you said that, I was flabbergasted uh, because I never heard about it. One of my agreements with Don was that if anyone ever decides to voice some sort of opinion or complain about how the awards are being run, anything like that. Uh, you know, if a builder has a question about, you know, what the criteria are or something like that, he sends them straight to me and I will talk to the builders. But if, if audience members, if attendees uh, get upset about an award that I never see that, I don't even hear about that. Um, and I, you know, what I'd want you to know about that bike was that when I went walking through the show floor Sunday morning, which is traditionally when I and the other judges do our pass for best in show, because 
you know, for for best road bike, you've got to enter that in the competition. It goes back into the judging paddock. But for best in show, we walk the flo- show floor and look at literally every bike that's been brought into the hall and consider them all. And that year, I already I had already looked at that bike. Uh, I was aware of it. And I knew how good it was. I knew how special it was. So as I was walking the floor, I was thinking about, is there anything else as original as that bike here? So you were the number one seed, so to speak, the moment that bike came in the show floor. And in all of my years judging uh, the awards for the Handmake Bike Show, I've got to say... That is one of the most original bikes I have ever seen in my life. And no other year has Best in Show been such an easy choice as that one. That's, uh, I mean, wow. I mean, I, I thank you. And I'm, you know, humbled. I just, uh, I, I don't know. I guess, you know, growing up as Catholic as I did, I can't take any praise or anything. It's like, oh, shut up. You know, I'm, I'm flawed. I kicked a dog once, you know, and, uh, blamed it on the neighbor it's 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 strange to hear and there was one builder who goes i'm so fucking sick of hearing about that bike and i was like oh you should try building it It was even worse you know i'm like (laughs) nice nice to hear from you dickhead you know like i'm sorry that it got noticed like look dude it's called peacock groove you don't remember the fucking turkey when you go to the farm you remember that proud you know that proud peacock strutting around he knows he's this shit you know, and they're loud as hell and annoying. Well, <laughs> if you listen this long enough, you figure out why I called it Peacock Groove and got myself tattooed with it on me because it, it means something to me. But, uh, you know, like, it's so crazy of, like, how this bike has, like, I mean, it was all over the local news. And it, I felt like I was kind of riding on his tailcoats, but at the same time, I'm like, no, I just did that to honor him and, it, it was, it sparked a lot of debate, but, um, from everyone that I met at that party, at that show, um, I was outside the shop once cause, uh, we have an alleyway right next to us and I saw some people in there and I have to go out and be like, what are you doing in there? You can't be in there. No graffiti. Cause the building people suck here. But this dude looks at me and he goes, Hey, you made that Prince bike, huh? And I go, huh? And he goes, dude, we were just at that event yesterday. Are you Peacock Groove? I recognize that symbol cause I got the big symbol above the door and i go yeah and he goes dude man what an honor and these guys were a little like hey fuck you we'll walk back here if we want and i'm like uh you have to leave but to like have that kind of reach and then somebody say that to you they're like you really did him well thank you and i'm like i did the best i could thank you for liking it you know it's it's crazy that that happens and i mean you know on a side note if you want to hear something terribly funny about that evening, I'm a big Tootsie pop fan Mm -hmm. and I go to the local Menards to get Tootsie pops. Well, what you may or may not know, but you're about to be educated on is that Tootsie pops have a lot of hidden flavors that they don't tell you about and that you can only get like through eBay and shit. Well, did you know they have a pomegranate Tootsie pop? What? Yeah, they do. And you know what? It's fucking delicious. It's the best thing ever. Well, and here's the catch. So I go to Menards all the time and I go, and they only give, this is, this is what I found out in years. This has a point and that's a good story. They give you one pomegranate per three bags 
But every once in a while you get a bag that has three of them in. So somebody at the factory is like, ha bonus two or something. So I go to Menards and I would go to the <laughs> sucker section and I would look through the bags and finally some asshole comes up to me and he goes, can I help you, sir? And I looked at him and I thought, he's not going to believe me. So I'll just say no. And I was going to say, no. And I go back to looking through these bags, you know, picking them up and looking through the little window. Mm-hmm. They go, sir. And I go, okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm looking for pomegranate Tootsie Pops. And he goes, they don't make pomegranate Tootsie. And I go, yeah, you would think so. That's why I said, no, you can't help me because now I have to explain to you that, yes, pomegranate Tootsie Pops do exist. They do. And I showed him one and I, I like, see, there's one in this bag. And he goes, no shit. And I go, yeah, no shit. So you want to help me look for me? He's like, no, we just have to make sure we see you come in here and do this like every couple weeks. And we're curious. Thought you're, and I was like, thought I was being fucking weird. Just turns out I like pomegranate Tootsie Pops, doesn't it? And, you know, he laughs and he goes away. And so I continue to, to look for my stuff. And, you know, I go and I get it. But now, like, they saw me at the counter and they looked at me. Not so weird. Like, oh, there's, he's doing this for a reason. Method to his madness. So yeah, pomegranate Tootsie Pops. So now fast forward to the Prince show at the Weissman. We get down there and we're hanging out. Uh Anna and her husband, Alan, were there with me, and I was, had a date. She was a wonderful person, Hillary. And we are there, and, and I was like, okay, this is really weird. People are talking to me who I don't know who they are, and they're dripping with money. I'm gonna, i am got to go get a drink. So I go and I get a drink, and here I am. Anna and Alan and Hillary are at a table, and I look. In the middle of this table, which is about five of them there, there's a centerpiece full of Tootsie Pops. And I shit you not. I look in the first thing of the table we're at and there's five fucking pomegranate Tootsie Pops in there. And I'm looking at this going, no way. How, how is this possible? How do they have five of them just sitting here? And there's a bouquet of maybe 15 and there's and a third of them is pomegranate Tootsie Pops. This is impossible. And so I start taking them and I put them in my pockets and, <laughs> And my dude catches, she goes, what are you doing? And I said, <laughs> you're not supposed to be a dirt bank here. <laughs> she goes, you're stealing these Tootsie Pops. I said, no, I'm not. I'm allocating them. And I, I said, well, fuck that. I got work in here. I'm taking some fucking Tootsie Pops. And and so Alan sees me. He starts laughing because he goes, holy shit, look at how many pomegranates. I was like, yeah, shut up, Alan. So I go to the other tables and, you know, people are sitting there and I just kind of go, oh, hey, look at that. And I reach over and I, I grab them all. I walked out of there with just shy of 30 pomegranate Tootsie Pops. And, I, and I'm and i like, I had my work in the Wiseman, and all I did was steal you know, Tootsie Pops. It's like the worst thing that you can do. But I tell you what, I still have a couple. I've, I've you know, I've used them sparingly, but I really like pomegranate Tootsie Pops. And my artwork, I guess, my bike was in a museum, and I stole suckers, so... What does that even tell you about me? But it was funny because people couldn't believe it. I showed them this bag and we went to the local, you know, high-low diner after it. And they're like, how many did you take? And like, we counted and I think it was 28. And like, can I have one? I'm like, fuck no, you can't have one. You got to go, you got to go Mission Impossible with them from a museum to, you know, that's how you get these. So I like pomegranate Tootsie Pops and I stole them. But I, I think it's a, it's a terribly funny story because the, the look on that guy at Menards, when, when he asked me, can I help you? And I looked at him and said, no, because I didn't want to explain to him the rarity of the pomegranate Tootsie Pop. But now you and everyone else get to hear it. And it's a terrible story, but yet still pretty funny. But, you know, I thought it was funny. You know, here I am walking out in my trench coat and my pockets are full of suckers. 
you know, and, and of course somebody goes, that's all you stole was the pomegranates. I'm like, fuck man, do I have to explain this to you too? Do you have to understand how rare these are? You know, I don't want people knowing. And then of course you go and look on eBay and you can buy them like 60 for like, I think you could get like 30 for like $42. I'm like, that's pretty pricey for Tootsie Pops. So, yeah, you know, I made out ahead, I guess. Let me come to your museum and steal shit from you. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing that you could hear about being in a museum is that I stole candy, like literally stole candy. But <laughs> my, my friend of security, Curtis Berg, he doesn't know that unless he listened to this. And I'm sorry, Curtis, I stole from you. We should still be friends, though. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I don't know what more you want to hear about a prince like in Tootsie Pops, but um, if Tootsie Pop is listening, they should really sponsor our, our cake at there you our go. WTF race team. Uh, um, um, Tootsie Pops. Yeah, I, I love them still to this day. And it's just funny that, like, you know, uh, they also have a lemon-lime flavor. I don't know if you know about that, but, um, <gasps> ooh, that's a close second to uh, to the pomegranate. But, uh, yeah, I never thought that they did, and I found them on eBay, and so I ordered a bag of, like, 30. But apparently I was drinking, and I hit quantity, too, so I bought, like, 60 <laughs> lemon-lime Tootsie Pops. And I was like, oh, why can't I pay rent this month? Because I'm fucking buying candy on eBay. But, you know, it's the important things, Patrick. It's the important things. <laughs> Well, since selling bikes is something that will allow you to pay rent, before we go, I want to talk about one other thing that you've been doing. And this is fortunately sure. not crazy expensive, like doing uh, an homage bike of some sort. You've got kind of an unusual flavor, if we can use that term, of fat bike that you do. Tell us a bit about that. Oh, cake bikes. Um, I love cake bikes because what the cycling world needs is another new wheel size, but it's not new. It's just, we're making it awesome. So the long story short is Andy Tetmeyer from head cycling may or may not have heard of these people. Uh, he said to me a number of years ago, he's like, Hey, uh, you should make a 24 inch wheel fat bike. And I was like, whatever blew him off for a year. And he finally goes, look, if, if I make the wheel and get the tire, will you make the frame? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. Sure. And we did, and we had it at a, I can't remember which nabs it was. I think it was a, oh, shit, I can't remember. But we had, like, hashtag not a kid's bike painted on it. Because it was like, it's a kid's bike. I'm like, no, it's an adult performance-oriented bike. And so here's why. Uh, the cake bikes are 24-inch wheel fat bikes. So well, you don't have much choice right now in tire size. But I tell you what you do have. Your rotational mass on each wheel is about two pounds less per wheel on average in a 26 inch wheel fat bike. Crazy stuff. Yeah. That part Crazy blew me bike. away. It's unbelievable how fast these bikes are. So anyways, we came back from the show cause we didn't get to ride the bike before the show. And Andy got on it, took two pedal strokes and said, Whoa. And I was like, Oh, it can't be that good. And then we lowered the seat. I got on it, took two pedal strokes and said, Whoa. And that was a peacock groove. And I was like, Oh man, we were talking. I was like, I have to start a new company. He's like, why? And I go, because if I can sell that feeling, I'm not going to be able to keep up with demand as Peacock Groove, being all super dorky special. It's going to have to be another company. And I was like, well, everybody likes cake. So I, you know, I registered as cake. Cake is good. It's fun. You can make it non-fat or whatever. And uh, what I'm telling people is that they're proportionally sized for people. If you're, oh, oh you know, like 5'9 and under, 5'8 and under, you should be on a 24-inch wheeled fat bike because it's proportionally sized for you. And it, it 
it drives me crazy when I see people who are like five feet. They're sitting in between two wheels on a bike. And you know that bike rides like a fucking garbage truck, you know? No matter how you lighten up the wheels, no matter if it's made of unobtainium, it's still going to be heavy. Cake bikes are coming in at 27 pounds, stock rigid fork with pedals, right around 27 pounds. Now, what's crazy about this, in the uh, two years that I've been building them, or three, I don't even know anymore. Um, I think I've sold 32, and 30 of them have been to women. So here's the deal. like mm. We have a strong cycling, a strong scene of women cycling. And I grew up with three older sisters and my mother. I, I know that women aren't listened to because I'm reminded of it all the time. But... You know, all jokes aside, in general, women are shorter than men. In general, on a spectrum. You know, I'm, and the people get, some people get mad and I'm like, not everyone. Well, no shit, not everyone. I'm 5'5". Five five. I'm not a tall guy. I get it. You know, I have to get things to stand on to get stuff in the cupboard, too. It happens to me. But all jokes aside, you know, I built a bike for a six foot four Amazonian pro beach volleyball, or she was a beach volleyball prayer. Um, and it was ridiculous. Her measurements were just ridiculous, you know. She had, I think, like, a 38 inch inseam. It was, it was just, it was like, Oh my God, you're like really tall. But now we're having people with 26 inch inseams that can ride a bike that fits them that they can actually stand over. This is important. And the big companies can't satisfy you like that. They have to make bikes, you know, that fit everybody. Well, cake is unique in the way that we alter the C tube size. So maybe you need a 13 inch length top tube, but we can put an 11 inch C tube on that. And we don't upcharge that. That's just, you know, it's part of the process. So it's no big deal, but, Cake bikes is now we're doing 650 race cyclocross bikes. We're doing a cargo bike and um, we're going to do a 27.5 mountain bike, I think, just because. And it's important to me because I'm looking to expand the company, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. to get more people on them. Because once a big company, you know, some asshat corporate financially backed company knows how good these are for women. They'll sweep in and say, oh, we always believe in women. No, they're looking at their, their wallets, their purses, their money clips. And to me, that's important because that like allows me to buy shitty Dodge trucks and pay rent. But at the same time, I know that their cycling experience needs to be as, as good as it can get. And as men, we need to do better. And as men own companies, we need to do better. So here I am a man owned company, I guess, you know, and I'm like, no cake is going to stand out and we're going to do it. So I sponsored a WTF, uh, fat bike team and they're doing swell. We had one year of racing with loose organization and now we're going to have a 2019 650 B cyclocross race team that we're still semi forming, but I've kind of eschewed the majority of men because, uh, there's a distinct difference that I've experienced women will want to come in and help you men come in and ask, what can you give them? And there is you know, a lot the of that. Yes. I get, Oh dude, I'm a cat three, man. If you sponsor me, I'll get you so much press. And I literally say, bitch, please. I got that shit. Don't worry. Just go make an evil dead bike and you get all the press that you want. Like, I don't want to hear that. What I've heard from the ladies of cake is, Oh my God, well, what are our hashtags? What should we be doing? And I'm like, Oh my God, someone who listens, you know? So it's mutually beneficial, but you know, now our latest addition, she's like, do you really want a 52 year old woman on the team? And I go, yes, yes, we do. Cause what cake is showing is that we're, you know, we're kind of for everybody in a way, because a lot of people want results oriented racing. 
um, cake bikes show up at the show and they steal the race with their finishes, with their look. And when people ride them, they go, holy shit. And when you get somebody, I have never seen a buyer's regret so much as when someone rode a big brand of bike, we'll call it sour cream because it's not, but they must've spent seven grand on that bike with the upgrades and everything. They rode a cake and they're like, wow, that really rides good. How much? And I said, 3,500. And they're like, that, that's it. And it's titanium, right? And I go, no, it's steel. And they go, well, how can it be lighter than my bike? And I go, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It just is, man, you know? And I felt bad because this poor person spent thousands of dollars to get it down to 32 pounds. And that was an aluminum bike and a carbon fork. And we crushed them by like five pounds, you know? And it's nothing special. And I go, it's all about, you know, proportional sizing. You wouldn't put Shaquille O'Neal on a 24 inch wheel bike, but you would Lil Kim, you know, and if anybody gets that reference, then good for you. But <laughs> it's, to me, it's, it's time that people really pay attention where you're not looking for sales goals. You're looking for happy goals. And that's what cake is. And that's kind of what Peacock Groove is. And that's also why I've suffered through the years and given some bad services because I cared too much. And I've really learned the whole under promise and over deliver. And, you know, but then when you're sick for a month, that doesn't really help anything, but you know, at least I've learned and we're moving forward, but to be able to use cake as, um, something that makes people's lives truly better, you know, like when our sponsored writer, Brenda went and did a seven day, 550 mile Idaho hot springs tour on her fat bike, on her cake fat bike. And she said, Oh my God, I still love it though. I'm going to go ride it tomorrow. And she was like, I am exhausted, but I'm going to ride it tomorrow and we're going to go get ice cream. And I'm like, when you can take someone and you give them a bike that, that truly fits them, that they truly love. And you know, that makes them feel special because we're all special. But when you can do that, that's great. And that's what we're trying to do with cake where it's like, yeah, you know, we're soft and delicious. We're here for you. It's important to me that the voices of women and the underserved get heard. And it's fashionable now from big companies to do that. And all I can say to them is about fucking time. As soon as you figure out you can make money doing it, it's a good thing to do. But why don't you, as my mom would say, why don't you shut up and do the right thing? You know, that's what I learned from my mom. (laughs) And, you know, that's been a guiding principle of my life, even though I haven't always shut up, but I've tried to do the right thing. And, you know, it, well, there you go. Cake bikes. Yay. Cake dot bike. Cause, uh, cakebike.com is taken or something like that. And now you can do dot bike. So, Hey, we're even more in fashion. So yeah, we're, we're on Instagram. Find it. It's, it's great. We're wonderful. Very cool. <laughs> I can't talk about myself too much. Oh, uh, Eric, this has been a pleasure. I, I really appreciate the time. Uh, I wish we could get on the phone more often, uh, but oh, I'll at least well, get thanks. to see you at the next naps. Huh? Oh yeah. Um, all I'm going to tell you is, the force will be with me and you won't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Okay. On I'm that note, you, it's going to blow you away. It's going to blow you away. Oh man. Okay. You don't understand the power of this fully operational fat bike. <laughs> it's going to be pretty geeky. Hopefully I'm, I'm working out the bugs now, so we'll see what happens. Oh, uh, I look forward to it. Thanks, man. Hey, you're welcome, Patrick. And uh, if you need anything, give me a holler. Will do. All right, brother. See ya.
Thanks to Eric Noren of Peacock Group for joining me on the poll. You know, he says he's not much for parties, but when he does show up, he always comes prepared. To be fair, like, yeah, I brought the thunder. It was awesome. To learn more about his work, you can visit peacockgroove.bike. There will be a link in our show notes at Red Kite Prayer. That's it for this episode of The Poll. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to RKP's other podcast, The Pace Line, co-hosted by Celine Yeager, a.k.a. The Fit Chick from Bicycling Magazine, I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week, have a great ride.